The Colorado Equals Security Podcast is your local source for regional security news, local events, and interviews with key individuals in the region. Now, here are your hosts, Rob Reck and Alex Wood. Welcome to Colorado Equals Security. This is your newscast for episode 251 for September 4th. Uh, 2023. Alex, uh, ha- happy Labor Day. Thanks, Rob. You too. Uh, a, a whole day all for those mothers who've given birth. <laughs> is that what this is for? Man, I was confused. Um, um, is it for the Communist Party? The Labor, uh, the labor Party? The, the Labor Party, yes. Yeah, it, that's not it's the Communists. A, those are different. It's a it's a throwback to ye old England. Is that, is that, I mean, <laughs> I think we're just recognizing that labor sucks and taking right. a day off is great. Yeah. Or I mean, maybe labor's great and taking a day off is also great. Yeah, I mean, um, everybody needs an extra day. Um, everybody needs a little time away. Um. <laughs> <laughs> so this is a holiday episode, <laughs> as you can tell. Also, um, I had a party yesterday, yeah. and it was fun. Yeah, I, I'll leave it, it at that. It, it was fun. I, I appreciate that you've uh, you've joined us this morning. Anyway, yeah, bright and early, uh, rolled in at about ten o'clock. It's bright. <laughs> Not early. Yeah. Um, anyway. Hey, before we jump into news, we have some housekeeping. As a reminder, we have a Slack channel with 25 plus 100 of our closest friends. If you want to join Slack and ha- be part of the conversations and get together for our Colorado Equal Security hikes, we've, we're going to do a second one here at the end of this month. Um, why don't you go ahead and go to colorado-security.com and get signed up? Yeah. We also have a mailing list you can sign up while you're on the website. Uh, we'll... We're actually starting to use it for a couple more things besides just show notes. We've uh, sent out messages about our picnic that just recently happened and some other things like that, salary survey, mm-hmm. uh, other things like that. So we're, we're branching out. It's not, not just show notes anymore, but uh, still, we're, you know, we're not selling your info or sending you spam or anything like that. But the Colorado Equal Security Movement is growing. It is. It's moving. It, it's moving. Uh, yeah, so get on the mailing list. While, while you're doing interesting stuff at your computer, why don't you go ahead and rate us on your favorite pod catcher? That's probably on your phone, not your computer. Uh, and subscribe so the, the uh, episodes get into your inbox every month without fail. Yeah, and you can tell a friend about us as well, get some more people involved in the movement and uh, really help promote that. Finally, if, uh, if you have a little extra change in your pocket and you want to share it and help uh, support the cause, help us cover our costs, do things like a free picnic that we have every year, then uh, you can join our Patreon campaign and uh, pledge a little money towards Colorado Equal Security as yeah. well. We'd love to have you as supporters. Thanks for our current patrons. We appreciate you guys very much. It's not only financially helpful, but it's also like, I think, mentally helpful knowing there's folks who want to help keep the show going. All right, let's jump into some news. Uh, you know, we always try and start off with some interesting local news. And, and this one's, I, I thought, interesting about a company that maybe I knew, but I don't really know. Teriyaki Madness. They're a Denver-based company. I've eaten there once or twice. There's one not too far from my house. It's fine. Um, It's a fast casual, right? Yes, it is a fast casual, sort of like Chipotle, you know. Modern Market, whatever. Yeah, Yeah, those companies. So they they recently um, are coming up, announced they're coming up with some new technology that is meant to make them are going inside and getting from or ordering from them faster than going through a drive through. Right. Yeah. As opposed to going through the drive through, you will you know order online or through an app or something like that. And then they will know uh, based on GPS and other things like that where you are. So when you pull into the parking lot, they'll be like, yeah, oh, Rob's here to get his food. Let me take that out. Um, yeah. Basically, as you pull up, there's they, the idea is they'll be standing at the curb to right. hand you your bag. That's pretty amazing. It's pretty cool. I'm curious how many times like. Somebody will pull in the parking lot, but they're going to go to, you know, get a coffee first and 
or uh, you know, oh, there's uh, this other thing in Croatia. I'm gonna go yeah. get some groceries and then I'm gonna go get my food. And like, you got the guy standing there with a the bag, like, what, where'd they go? <laughs> and, I, and I can't imagine anyone listening to this podcast having any issues with being GPS tracked by a fast right. food restaurant, or excuse me, a fast a casual, fast, fast casual re- restaurant. Yeah. Uh, anyway, I, I, I now it, honestly reading the article kind of makes me want to try teriyaki madness. You know, get, go get a, looks like nine different bowls options they have. I, yeah, I, I'm sure you I should try find one. one I'd like. I mean, it's Colorado based. You may as well. I, I will say, as I was reading the headline and thinking about this, if I'm going for the fastest getting food experience, it's always I park and and walk in. It's almost always faster than going through the drive through because there's so many lazy people who will ride a car. <laughs> <laughs> and I, if I'm just willing to be a slightly less lazy, I can usually yeah. get through there quite a bit faster. No, that's true. That's true. That's that's my tip for the day. And now you can be lazy and faster. There you go. As I long mean, as you're willing to plan ahead. You, you have to plan you ahead. Have to, you have to yes. use the app, install the app, all that stuff. Exactly. All right. Uh, next story. Um, we've actually got some big news stories yeah. that happened over the past month. Three big stories this, yeah. week, this month. Uh, this first one, uh, you may or may not have heard, Dish Network and Echo Star are merging back to form one company. Of course, these were one company in the past and then they split. And uh, now they're coming back together. Yeah, so Charlie Ergen is you know one of the richest men in Colorado, one of our billionaires, um, and and is the primary uh, shareholder for both of those companies. As as they've looked at strategically what makes sense for the companies, I think there's 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 a lot of synergy here for, for the companies, not only from a like business tactical perspective, but also from a financial perspective. That you know, EchoStar had a, a bunch of cash on hand. Dish could use some cash on hand. This this merger gives them the chance to to leverage each other's assets like cash, but also you know to leverage the the shared uh, spectrum that they yeah. both have. They both have bought billions of dollars worth of of wireless spectrum. Um, apparently, I, I don't I didn't know much about this before reading this article, but you know Dish had a lot of this the spectrum here in the U.S. and EchoStar had a lot internationally. Right, their their joined together spectrum will allow them to do a consistent approach to delivering signal all around the world. Yeah. I mean, it, it sounds like a good idea. Um, hopefully both sides will benefit in this new, uh, new company. And you know, they say like, what are they going to call it? Like, is it going to be, I think it's gonna be dish network. I, yeah. I did not see it in this article, yeah. but I, I, I think I've heard that other places. Uh, Interestingly, the, I, I'm sure they'll still have both, um, brand names used, but I think that the, the joint company will be dish. The uh, the couple of things they they meant, did mention in the article is the CEO from Echo Star will be the CEO right. of the new company. The um, uh, John Swaringa that wasn't in here, but John Swaringa, who's the COO from Dish, will be the COO of the new company, or no, president the president and COO. So they're right. they're going to have a, a senior leader from both sides. A couple of interesting efficiencies they mentioned they can get. Uh, they can combine call centers. So instead of having to have right. a separate call center for Dish and Echo Star, they can have one. And then they mentioned installers. They can have one installation crew, which that one kind of surprised me. I, I didn't I didn't think about that in advance, but I guess it makes sense. Makes sense to me. Cool. Uh, moving on to the next big story. Uh, Ball Corp is selling off of their aerospace business um, and focusing solely on, you know, aluminum and uh, and packaging for their, their road forward. Um, this one was interesting too. Um, it sounded like um, this was a little bit driven uh, by the market in that the the differences between the two parts of the company um, ball felt like they were undervalued because people didn't really understand the aerospace side of the business. And so they, they thought it was a better use uh, to be able to sell that and get capital for that side of the business. And 
you know, rebuy some stock, have some money, do some yeah. other things. I, I love articles like this where they go through the news and we'll talk about the news, but then they, they, they often will just drop random facts about the companies in the stories. So, you know, Ball Aerospace, or as I like to call it, Ball Brothers Research Corporation <laughs> uh, was founded in 1959 in Boulder and in a little, in a little building there. And, you know, obviously he's grown up into this, you know, this massive multi-billion dollar organization with 5,000 plus employees um, since then. R really interesting that, you know, Ball Corporation itself was best known for for a long time as the, the mason jar company. Right? right. That's all they really did. Well, that's what they initially did was build those mason jars. I, actually, they made Ball Jars. The, the mason yeah. company made mason jars. I thought the mason was like the, like yeah. the type of jar, not the brand. Is I, that I think it's a brand. I thought it was ball mason jars. Okay. Oh, uh, now now we're gonna have I mean, to look it up after this. Apparently, we, if you're <laughs> listening, one, one way you know, or the other, errata coming. <laughs> regardless, we have a we have a jar. Um. Anyway, they, they you know we go from building jars into building a, a an aerospace company. Um. You talked about kind of this financial market uh, perspective, where a company like you know now they're basically aluminum packaging, right? They right. they build they build cans. They make those little those cups, little reusable recyclable cups. Um. The the things that make that comp kind of a company attractive, low you know, low pro or um, low costs, you yeah. know, it, growth, all these things, are not the same things that make a an aerospace company. Right. Basically, a government contracting company, much slower, right. longer term. Yeah. They're going to have to be big capital outlays yep. in order to get returns over quite a while. So when they're when they're being valued by the markets, people just don't know how to do it. So separating these companies allows them both to be optimized toward the way that they're going to be valued and, you know, get, get value back for the shareholders. Yeah. And, and one of the things that we didn't say, it's, uh, it is BAE systems, which is, it's a British company that also is a government contractor is the one that's going to be buying this. Uh, they do have an American subsidiary. So that's who's going to actually own it and uh, hopefully help with regulatory approvals and things like that. Yeah. And they said that after this acquisition of Paul aerospace, BAE, BAE's overall revenue will be 47% from the U S. So it's not like this is like a little tip dipping a toe in the water. This is, you know, they're, they're just about half focused yeah. for the U S. Uh, also the, uh, the deal is going to be $5.6 billion. But I also noted that they did say that after it closes ball is supposed to net like $4.5 billion. So the, the process of closing and with ta taxes, taxes and yeah. whatever else is going to be, you know, a little over a billion dollars. Well, I, I imagine that there's some lawyers who get a, a cut of that too. There's probably some lawyers. <laughs> yeah, those uh, those investment bankers they usually like to to make a little bit of money. So I, I suspect that you know there'll be some money spread around. But hopefully this is a good thing. You know, it's a little sad. I think for for those of us, I, I don't really know the companies that well. But you know, I think of Ball Aerospace as being our hometown right. um, aerospace company, and you know now they won't be. Now they'll be a British company. Yeah. Anyway. Uh, yeah. All right. Uh, moving on. Uh, next. We have a story about uh, this year's uh, Inc. 5000, and we've talked about this list several times in the past. This is the 5,000 fastest growing companies, yeah. and uh, every year a uh, new list comes out, and we talk about the ones that are from Colorado. Yeah, you know, I, it's a, we have a, a few fewer on the, on the list this year, uh, but you know, going through the, the top ones on the list, uh, Crusoe Energy, I've heard of them. I don't know much about them. I had never heard of Blazy Susan. Did you know Blazy Susan? I, I didn't, but it's a great name. I, I immediately Googled what in the heck is this thing? And it's almost exactly what it sounded like to me, which is like kind of a hip Lazy Susan. Like it, it's, a, you know, if you don't know what a Lazy Susan is, it's like a spinning 
plate or tray that you can either put in a cabinet or put on a table to like turn the food toward whoever it is. And these are like kind of, you know, modern, I don't say garish maybe, you know, with, with branded stuff. And, and like, I don't, I don't know how these people are growing at what is it? 4,000, 5,000%. But um, obviously they've, they've caught on somewhere. And if you, if you need to buy a thing for a person who's got a little bit of spunk, Maybe take a look at Blazy Susan. Uh, my first thought looking at it was it was uh, something related to the marijuana industry. But okay, I mean, you know, maybe you can spin your your weed around on the uh, on the Blazy Susan. I, th- I think Susan. maybe you spin your weed around on these Blazy Susans. <laughs> I think you might want to take a look at the website. I think okay. I think that that's happening there. Uh, the next one was Omni Interactions, which I also don't know. Evolution Veterinary Specialists, Fluid Truck. Which we just yeah, talked, talked about, about them quite times. a few times, right? They've they've had almost three thousand percent growth. Yeah, the another one on here down at two forty three is Sondermind, which I believe we've talked about once or twice, or at least I know of. Um, most of the other stuff I don't, I don't recognize. Yeah. So the I, names. I bet you that if we this, they just had like the top Colorado ones that went, ones right. in the top four hundred. I think if we went down the list further, we would see some of the the old faithful security companies and tech companies that we. I'm sure Pax Eight makes the list yeah. somewhere. But that's a lot of work, right? But we didn't do that much work this right. this month. Um, anyway, that that it's nice to see a lot of growth, and and it's nice to see some new names on the list as well, right? Uh, speaking of growth, our next article uh, is about VC funding in Colorado. And, uh, well, it's not actually about growth, but, you know, VCs help, thing, help people grow. Yeah, this, this article, I think there's, there's two different perspectives you could read it from. You could read it from the perspective of look at how Colorado is growing relative to all the other sta- states in the West. Um, we, we are the, the fastest growing um, of the Western states. We, we also have a higher percentage of overall VC money than everyone but California. Yeah. So California is like 35%, but then we were, we were number two at like 2.5 or yeah, something. It's almost 3%. Washington like state was, was behind us. Um, so there's, there's a really good perspective. And then there's the perspective where uh, actually Colorado overall has had a decrease in v- VC funding in the last year. Well, there have been some states that have actually had increases. Yes, uh, I think that covers it very well, Rob. Um, there were some other facts in here that um, I'm trying to find one of them. One thing that jumped out to me that I thought was interesting was that there are, I think it was 19, but I'm trying to find the number in the article here. Uh, oh, sorry, 16 U.S. states that had no venture capital finding or funding, yeah. excuse me. And, I, and it, of course, makes me curious what those states are. Does it does it have the list? Uh, it doesn't have it there, but maybe if we dig in, there's some links in here. We yeah. might be able to. to so, dig that sounds those. like work to be done. It does sound like it. Um, Actually, I think I think if we look at the map, we can oh, see hey, it. Uh, looks like Alaska and Hawaii don't have any money. Anyway, we're not going to go through the whole list, but uh, interesting stuff. Colorado, you know, we still are a healthy place to get funding. Um, you know, the the ecosystem that folks like Brad Feld have built here is has grown and is growing. And it's nice to see. I see that progress. Uh, you called called it earlier. One of them is Wyoming. So. Uh, not a surprise. Anyway, moving on. All right. What do we got next? What are we, what are we talking about? Uh, next? We, we have a, a story about a grant that was received here in Colorado um, from the, what was it? Small, small business, small business administration, administration? federal, yeah. right? Yeah. Yeah. So there, there was a, a different States had the ability to apply for, for these grants. And this, this was applied to by uh, the, what, Oh, Oh shoot. Oh, Oh, ODC. C O E D I T or something. E D Colorado's economic uh, development economic development fund. Yeah. They they worked with the Pikes Peak um, 
area and the the National Cybersecurity Center um, to put together this grant proposal. And and really the the thrust of what they're trying to do here is they're going to use the money to build a new program to help small businesses across Colorado with cleanups after cyber attacks and some other resources. This obviously, obviously NCC is a big part of this, right? Right. Because they had been working on building that that resource center to help small yeah. businesses. And I'm guessing that they're going to use this funding to, to jumpstart that. Yeah. It sounds like some of it will be um, on education, training small businesses. And some of it I think will be for uh, responders to, to help, as you mentioned with some of those incidents. Um, so, I mean, overall, great. It's wonderful that we have uh, this million dollar grant. Um, the uh, Colorado Springs, um, Small Business Administration Group, uh, I forget their name now, also, we're doing a great job here today, Rob. Um, they're the ones, I think, that are sort of taking the lead, even though every state was allowed one submission. So, right. like, you had to come together as a state and decide who was actually submitting. So it was the Economic Development Commission that actually uh, is the primary on the grants, but I think, you know, most of that is going to be the uh, the Colorado uh, Small Business Development Council. Yeah, it'll be interesting. It, it does look to me like there's more of a, Focus down in the Colorado Springs area. Um, they they mentioned specifically that these resources will be available for everyone in the state. But uh, as I read through it, I'm like, yeah, okay, but it's going to be headquartered down down in the Springs, which you know makes a lot of sense if NCC is a big part of it. And they also uh, thanked Murray Security Services in there with our our friend Sean Murray, uh, who is the the president of that, and now um, or owner, I guess, and now uh, president of the ISSA uh, International yeah. Board. Yeah, congratulations to Sean on both of yeah. those. Uh, all right. Next story we have is a, another big merger story, and this one is uh, coming directly f- from the security world. Uh, Ping Identity, which if you if you got to go through their their history real quick, you know, venture capital backed from like you know two thousand two two thousand three. They got bought by private equity in two thousand sixteen. They went public in two thousand nineteen, and then last year they got taken private again by a big private equity company called Tama Bravo. Um, and then as of last week, or was it two weeks ago now? I think it was last week. Tama Bravo officially closed on a deal to acquire another, a direct competitor to Ping called called Forge Rock. And um, they, they, as, as soon as they, the closure happened, they announced that they are merging Forge Rock and Ping together. And under what it sounds like, it'll be under Ping Identity, yeah. definitely under Ping Identity leadership. Right. Yeah. And um, I believe also, it's not mentioned in this story, but I believe the uh, headquarters is still staying here uh, as you know, since Ping leadership is the one that's going to be in charge. Um, and, uh, and yeah, so yeah, interesting. It's uh, not that it's a surprise after, uh, after Tama Bravo bought Forge Rock, but it, I was actually surprised with the speed, like, you know, the day that the deal closed, right. like we're announcing that these two companies are coming together. Yeah. And, and there obviously there's a ton of open questions. If you're a customer of either one of them, I, I think there's probably a lot of folks who don't know the, the breadth of these two companies together. It's, it's really pretty impressive you know ping has had you know most of the fortune 100 as customers all the big banks all these other folks uh, for for quite a while forge rock is like the number two competitor in that space so in the large enterprise hybrid identity space these two are the big players so they're they're gonna have you know a lot of coverage in and you know when i you talk about fortune 500 there's a pretty big difference between the, the fortune 50 and you know fortune 400 to 500 right like they play much more in the larger side of that 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 the lower end i think that you know, you're going to see a lot more of the Octas and the Microsoft, but at the very high end, Ford Rock and Ping are the two. So it'll be interesting to see how these things go and, and how they continue to serve their customers really well. A couple of interesting things about Tama Bravo, you know, they, 
in addition to owning Ping, they are the owner for Logarithm. You know, other big secu- uh, proof security point. company here. Yeah, Proofpoint, twelve billion dollar company. Yeah, Sailpoint, which is another big identity company. And I didn't realize that till this article. They they own Sophos. Um, oh yeah, which, I'd Sophos like that. a British. I thought they were a British. Yeah, I think that they yeah. used to be. Um, so a lot of, I mean, a lot of security companies in Tama Bravo's portfolio. Um, you know, they've. They're obviously, you know, one, maybe the biggest hitter in our space and uh, doing a big, big deal here. Yeah, you brought up SailPoint. It'll be interesting to see if sometime down the road they also try to integrate SailPoint into the new uh, merged uh, Ping and Forgerock because yeah. you know it is a complementary product to the those products as well. Yeah, in in those large enterprises, SailPoint has a really big pers- right. perspective as well, but they do a different thing. So right. I can see, I can see, I can see either way. Oh. And and one of the, one of the other nuances it's just worth mentioning for those who don't know, um, in the identity space, companies like Ping and Forge Rock they look at sales kind of bifurcated into uh, we're selling into a workforce scenario, which is you're going to use our product to help your employees get access to their resources, or we're selling into a customer identity scenario, which is your customers are going to use this experience in order to get access. So think about, you know, you sign into Amazon or Netflix, that sign in process, that's a customer identity experience that you're, that you're getting versus, you know, your work experience, both ping and Fordrock have doubled down. They've invested really heavily in customer. Like the, I think that I, I don't know for sure. I think somewhere around the majority of their revenue is coming from customer. Mm. Um, so there's a there's an interesting play there as well where SailPoint's all I, I think I think it's all basically workforce identity. Right. Yeah. Interesting. Anyway, interesting stuff. All right. Uh, moving on. Uh, next we have a coal fire article talking about how Fortune 500s are building brand value by communicating security posture. Yeah. First first couple words you know trust and transparency. This is you know you build you you build this by by really. Uh, being transparent with what your practices are and, and what you what you're up to, I, I think as I read this article, it's it's a an inspiration or no, no aspirational aspirational, an aspirational yes. article more than it is a state of the world art type of an article. I, I don't I don't know that I believe that many Fortune 500 companies are actually um, they're winning because of how good a job they do with yeah. with security. So, yeah, I mean, like, depends on the, get, on who you're selling to, right? Well, like who. <laughs> I'm sure I could find like, somebody. Like T-Mobile, like hey, yeah, I, exactly. T-Mobile yeah. is is winning <laughs> like, for sure. I mean, this is this is the challenge. I see lots of companies who have you know numerous breaches and then not a lot of impact as a result of that. Yeah, right. And that that's the, the I guess that's why maybe I'm a little bit skeptical. It, it seems more aspirational than reality to me. Yeah, I mean, uh, I think to your first word, it could be inspirational. Also, uh, you know, maybe inspire you to do a little bit more on this front and. Uh, as a security practitioner, do things to uh, to encourage and enable your company to to show off its security posture and maybe help. Who knows? But yeah, I mean, I, I guess I think it's a great trend to see companies at least trying to be better at these things and, and talking more about it and you know having an answer when someone says, "Why should I trust you with my data?" Well, you know, here's what right. we're doing, and of course, we're not perfect, but the, I think it's great that they're making that progress. Yeah, for sure. Um, one other little thing that I wanted to call out. Uh, that I thought was interesting. They have, um, yeah, most of the article talks about, you know, why you should be doing this. But at the bottom, it's essentially, you know, how can Coal Fire help you do this? And uh, and one of the points was um, client SME sales call support. Uh, basically, you could have a Coal Fire person get on the phone with your one of your customers or uh, potential customers to, to sort of, you know, explain how good you guys, you are at your compliance. And I'm thinking like, no effing way. Like I, I do not ever want 
an auditor or anybody else that, that I'm paying to do something for me on the phone with one of my customers. But you're a CISO and your company is lucky enough to have you. There are probably companies out there that, that don't have a CISO and they're, and they're like, who would I put on the phone? Right. Well, okay. It could be coal fire. Okay. Yeah, sure. Yeah. I mean, it, it's possible. Good luck with, good luck with that. <laughs> um, I, I could maybe see if, um, if in pri- uh, preparation for a call or something like that, you needed to be educated on something that you were talking about, you know, maybe you could work with one of those coal fire SMEs to educate you so that you can talk better to a customer. Th- that seems fair. Yeah, that's good stuff. All right. Uh, next blog we have from the Bite Back Law blog, Hush Blackwell. Um, this is part two of a series where they talked about how to be prepared for the new SEC guidance and regulations. Uh, in, that, in that first part of the series, they, they were talking about what those new requirements are. Here in part two, they offer ideas for preparing uh, the required disclosures um, in annual reports. Like, hey, okay, you're supposed to do these things. Here's how we recommend you do it. Yep. Yeah, and I think, um, th- I think they had some suggestions in the prior. Um, this starts at suggestion number four. Um, and so basically they're, they're talking about um, preparing your risk management process and you know making sure everyone's clear on how you came to these decisions, what you uh, put into your risk management process. So, um, you know, that wanted to be substantive. So you're not just kind of hand waving and then, yeah. uh, something happens. The SEC is like, eh, you know, you're not really taking care of what yeah. you need to take care of. I mean, to me, it, it all reads like, Hey, you should treat this more formally than it might've been treated in the past. Right. Yeah. You know, if you're making decisions write down when you made them, who made them, why you made them yeah. have, have a log of the risks and uh, how those turn into the decisions that you've made. Like I, you know, for you and I, we've been doing this for a long time, but there's a lot of companies that, you know, they don't do this and, and, yeah. and they're, they're making decisions like kind of ad hoc, maybe in a ticket somewhere, like, Hey, have a central place that you can show like how you came to these decisions, why it's risk appropriate and, and be willing to share those if you need to with the SEC. Yeah. A couple other things that they mentioned, uh, they talk about third party and vendors, um, obviously, you know, if you don't have a good third party vendor risk management process, you need to make sure that you do, because that obviously is a big risk area these days. I think the thing that was the most interesting to me in this article was they talked about how, uh, you're basically going to have to share more probably than you would want to, uh, to the sec as part of this stuff. And especially if, if it's part of the, uh, breach notifications, it's possible that that, uh, required oversharing could lead to action from a different government entity like the FTC or something like that coming after you because you, uh, you had to disclose that certain things happened. Yeah. Um, I, I, I appreciate Hush Blackwell, you know, giving this content you know, for free to us. Yep. And as we're, as we're all thinking about how do we get our companies ready for this, I hope you all take a look. All right. I, that's the last news, but I have, a, I have an update. So if you remember last month, we announced the Hexion platform from Coal Fire and on the on the show, like, hey, what 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 does this what do? Does this do? Can you tell us some more? This does, press release doesn't have much info. Well, uh, Coal Fire responded and and provided uh, quite a bit more information about what this thing looks like. Um, I I sent over a handful of questions and and got very thorough responses that I will not read every word of, but um, that that honestly I, I appreciate them spending taking the time. So I asked the question like, what are the capabilities that Hexion offers? And if you remember, they they were like, hey, this is our our next gen. Um, I will shoot security assessment platform and right. or vulnerability management. I can't remember the words they use exactly, but I'm like, well, what are the capabilities that we get here? Are we talking about automated pen testing? Is it manual testing? Is it dynamic analysis? What does it have? And they actually gave a list of the services here. So uh, attack service identification, so ASM, attack service management stuff, um, asset discovery, vulnerability trending, vulnerability risk scoring and prioritization, 
contextualized findings, real-time communication, I don't know what that means, and uh, unified reporting and dashboards. So, uh, you know, obviously a platform to help you discover where your assets are, help you figure out what, where the vulnerabilities are, how important those vulnerabilities are, and to report on those things. Yeah. I, I will note also that prior to that, that bolded list, there is a, another point that they said, which is Hexiana is an offensive security SaaS solution uh, that provides comprehensive and continuous vulnerability management. So yeah. on one hand, that sounds to me like automated pen testing. Um, but on the other hand, they don't mention that as part of the service. So maybe it's just taking the results from everything else. And, well, it's vulnerability. And, it's it's vulnerable scanning, right? Yeah. It's not pen testing. I don't, I, I don't, this doesn't seem like pen testing to me. I think that they, they well, I, I specifically ask the, the question, um, uh, shoot, uh, whether, whether it was like, related to other services. And this is a brand new one, right? They built right. this thing from scratch. Um, they, they, they said that, uh, uh, they saw an opportunity to disrupt the market. Yeah, of course a, they a did. Marketing person said this obviously. Um, but, but honestly, like it seems like a pretty good product that, that, or yeah. a, a good idea. I haven't seen the product's quality, but it sounds like a pretty good idea. Um, I did ask, uh, how this differs from their hosted vulnerability scoring, uh, scanning system. Um, and, and really this sounds like this is, this is just much broader, right? They're able to take um, a lot more inputs into this than the vulnerability scanning system by right. itself. Cool. Good stuff. All right. Uh, so that is it for the news. Let's go ahead and jump on over to our event calendar. Of course, if you go to the website, uh, we do have a uh, an event calendar there where you can see all the upcoming events, but we're going to talk through some of them that are happening in September. Oh, yeah. Starts off on September 13th. ISSA Denver has their, their uh, monthly chapter meetings. Those are going to be both in the tech center and downtown. So if you want to go to lunch down in the tech center and then go downtown for dinner, you can meet with ISSA on the 13th. Sweet. On the 14th, ISACA Denver is doing their September chapter meeting, uh, which has a topic of getting started in blue teaming and advanced concepts and testing strategies for auditing SAP. Yeah. So it's worth calling out that those are actually two separate talks. That the, mm. This is like a, it's yeah. like a long day. It was like 10 yeah. to four or something. So you're, you're, you get quite a bit of CPE, quite a bit of time if you go to this uh, with two different topics. Cool. Uh, on the 19th, we have two events. Uh, first, the CSA Colorado chapter is doing their September meeting. They're going to be talking about the API security landscape, uh, what folks are seeing in the field. I think it's someone from Salt Security was coming to that. Uh. And also on the 19th is Secure World Denver. Alex, you yes. and I are going to be there. Uh, we're doing, a, the, I think, the, the closing keynote panel um, it's gonna, it should be fun. I think I'm, I'm moderating and we got a few other folks who are going to be joining you on that panel. Yeah. And, and I think we're going to put the interview on the show after. That I would hope. be great. Knock on wood. Yep. Um, I'm also helping to facilitate a lunchtime conversation. Uh, this is um, about forensics and um, we have one of the, the folks from uh, local or I guess federal law enforcement, but that is local talking about that stuff. And uh I will set caveat that with it is a it's a VIP session, so you have to be on the the VIP list to get in there. I didn't yeah. even know it existed. Apparently, <laughs> uh, on the twenty first, Let's Talk Software Security is doing a operating models for modern software security conversation. And then finally, on the twenty seventh, ISC Squared Pikes Peak is doing their September meeting. Yeah, let me just go one into October. Um, we, I, we might not record, but before then, ISA Automation and Leadership Conference. ISA is a uh, industrial uh, automation. I don't remember what the S stands for, but society of automation, maybe. Um, and I, our friends, uh, Don McLaughlin, Chris McLaughlin and, um, and Scott Reynolds are a part of this leaders of, of this uh, chapter and are part of this and asked us to talk about it on the show. So if you're interested in automation, IOT manufacturing could be a really interesting conference. Nice. Uh, let's jump over and talk about some jobs. 
a lot of leadership jobs this month. And I, I didn't do it on purpose, but there was, I just kept running into leaders, like a lot of directors and manager positions open. Cool. Uh, first, Ibotta is looking for a director of compliance. Ring Central is hiring a director of security programs. Western Union is looking for a senior manager of information security. Holland and Hart, our good friend Joe McComb, uh, who who won the uh, Colorado Equal Security Most Admired Award last year. Yeah. He is looking to hire an information security manager, so he'd be working directly for Joe. Uh, AstroScale is looking for a security man excuse me, security manager slash FSO. It's like facility yeah. security officer. Ah. Um, Charles Schwab is hiring an information technology asset manager risk governance that comes in with our longest title of the week. Well done. Flex Central is looking for an IT security and compliance analyst. And speaking of working for great people, Sean Fredrickson, a good friend and former coworker of mine, is is the new head of security over there. So I, I'm sure this would be working for Sean. Uh, next, oh, I get to say this one. Quantinium. 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 Quantinum. Quantinum. Quantinum is hiring a senior cybersecurity engineer. Uh, if you go and get that job, let us know how it's pronounced. Please, please. Uh, Craden is looking for a cybersecurity analyst. And finally, Motive Care is hiring an IT governance analyst. This is probably working with our friend Bill Randall over there. Oh, yeah. Uh, he's the, he's the head of GRC over there. Awesome. Um, well, that is it for news. We do have a feature interview this week, though, Alex. Who, who do we have? Uh <laughs> We, we uh, more some... importantly, where does this person work? So we have Brandon Stewart, who is the CEO of a, of a, a local security startup. Um, we have been trying to figure out how to pronounce it. Uh, Google gave us three different answers. Right. It, it's overhelpful. Google, it, Google is overhelpful. Yeah. And it is N-E-R-E-U-S, which is the name of a Greek god. Um, it's either Neros or Nereus. Or, or one of the pronunciations is like nervous, nervous, nervous. nervous. I anyway, um, we don't know, and 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 uh, um, we're excited to. I bet Brandon will say it, and we'll know, and and just a, <laughs> in just a minute or two. Um, looking forward to hearing. Thanks, big big thanks to to Frank Victory for for doing this interview for us, and uh, to Brandon for for being willing to talk to us. Good stuff. I'm looking forward to hearing it. All right, we'll talk to you guys again soon. Thanks, Rob. This is Josh Ryan. Network Manager for Ultra Petroleum. Welcome to Colorado Equals Security, the podcast for Colorado security professionals by Colorado security professionals. Good morning, good afternoon, and good evening, Colorado Equals Security. This is Colorado Equals Security Podcast. My name is Frank, a guest host here. And I have the awesome pleasure of interviewing Brandon Stewart. He is the CEO, right? The CEO of... Mirius system. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I should know that before I get onto the podcast. Yeah. It's like, welcome Detroit. And everybody's like, you're in New York. He's like, welcome yeah. New York. Yeah. Mirius systems, no doubt. Mirius systems. I think that we're in Colorado. At least I hope we are. If not, Rob and Alice are going to be really, really upset with me. I was looking though at your tagline, which said navigating the future. What is that all about? So I've been in IT pretty much my entire professional career. And one of the things that I think is really important is to is to understand if you've ever sailed or you've ever whitewater rafted or you've ever been in kind of a fluid environment, I think being able to look out far enough over the bow of whatever you're on and being able to see how things are developing so you can place yourself in the right place for success. And I think that's very applicable to technology. Right. I mean, I don't know how many startups we've seen with great ideas, bad timing, right? Or 
kind of okay ideas and excellent timing because of a security vulnerability or a risk or whatever the story was, they succeeded in other places that even more well-resourced or more brilliant founders just floundered. So I think it's about timing and that navigation of the future in technology is understanding kind of geopolitical inputs that are going to be impacting what's going on, as well as technical developments that are going to be impacting geopolitics. So I think all of that kind of moves together. So that's what I would say. It's more about looking out far enough in advance and not being myopically focused on this thing today. Well, that's interesting. What is your feeling about things uh, when you mentioned geopolitical items in Ukraine, right? I mean, how did that impact us from a technology standpoint? So my belief is that we're getting to actually live and experience in a hot war a lot of the projected action items that would have been taken in today's world, right? So we're looking at, I think you're looking at a very consistent and persistent effort from one side to disrupt critical infrastructure mm-hmm. and the day-to-day lives of the Ukrainians that are you know, living through this to try to degrade or erode morale. So for instance, one of the big things that we focused on at Nereus is operational technology security. And it's one of these things that people in the security world have talked about for 30 years. I mean, I remember going to a a conference, I won't mention who the customer is, and going into this room and there's this very brilliant data scientist at the front, and this was like 20 years ago. And the guy had this idea, he's like, we're gonna take all the data on the electrical grid and we're gonna put it in a supercomputer and we're gonna run testing and analysis and we're gonna figure out what threats are on the electrical grid. And I remember, man, like 20 years ago being like, can we just lock the damn door? Can we just do some like real simple stuff to maybe CYA and then you can play your moonshot game. So I think it's been one of these things that have certainly has been talked about over and over and over again, and no one really dealt with it. And now all of a sudden, as we're watching Ukraine unfold and what's actually taking place, I feel like the customer base in certainly the people we're supporting, which is U.S. wide and and starting to become national global, are starting to realize that it's not just a a water treatment plant for a city's municipal system. This is manufacturing facilities. This is R&D and things that are making America actually work, our, our production lines, our facilities. Those are vulnerable, right? And And you get a... You get a lovely ransom attack on, let's say, a production facility that's cranking out anything of, of real value. Now you've got real loss of, of money. You've got loss of time. You've got loss of effort and you've got embarrassment. And, and that's hitting your bottom line and, and that's hitting kind of the American economic system. So anyway, long winded story to basically just say, yeah, I think that's that's what we're seeing a lot of now. Do you think that the war on Ukraine or our, our most recent pandemic do you think that's shined light on the supply chain attacks? Oh, yeah, man. Hell yeah. But that's it. Yeah, totally. I mean, global global economy and specialization, I mean, it's all awesome when it works, right? But you've got critical infrastructure. And I think for such a long time, critical industry, when my father got a weird family, so my father was in World War II. I'm not, don't look like my dad would have been in World War II. He kind of had me much later, but 
I got to experience his perspective on America's time through that that period of, of his life, plus the evolution of America to my time. And one of the things at the time, it was like, okay, rail yards and shipping yards and electrical. And those were the things they were worried about being attacked. But that 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 footprint is is expanded dramatically. I mean, we've got telecom, we've got really critical industry, et cetera. And we have shifted away from making a lot of things that we really should be making here. And I think you're seeing that over the last few years, everybody's like, oh my God, we better start making this shit now. So we're a little bit behind, certainly. But the thing about America, which I really like is, we have a hard time getting it together, but when we do get it together, we move fast. And yep. if you get everybody on the same page, there's really no one in front of us, in my opinion, on the global scale that can out, outmaneuver us or outwork us because of our innovation, because of our can-do attitude. Now, we don't have the amount of people, let's say somebody in Southeast Asia may have, but we certainly have a willingness and ability to do so when we want. So I think now all of a sudden we're looking at the supply chain as, as something that is critical for our nation state and our security and, and our livelihood. So yeah, absolutely. Oh, cool. Cool. Well, you're, we're, we're getting really serious here. So let's bring up the light in the mood, but we are talking about fighting here. I heard something about you being in a brawl in Holland and then making friends with the police afterwards or, or something like that. Yeah, so so I have family in Europe, and I, I was going to go see them, and I had never really ever met them. And so I took the trip, and I had some friends who were stationed over there. So I was kind of bouncing around this tiny little country that's like the size of your fingernail on a train. And I went up north and saw a lot of people that I was related to and had a great time and had some drinks, et cetera. And I get on the train, and I see about four young guys just hassling these old people. And I really just didn't like it. it was something I was like, I don't, man, I'm not dealing well with this. So eventually I said something and one of the dudes mouthed off to me and I, I clipped, I kind of chirped back and he realized I was an American. He's like, you an American? I'm like, yeah, is that a problem? And he's like, no, 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 he's cool. No, we're cool. We're cool. So it was kind of a moment where being an American bought me some cool points with the main guy that I was actually kind of concerned about that I was going to have to deal with. He was the big one. Mm -hmm. So anyway, we all get on the train, they get on a different cart, the old people get on the cart with me. And uh, like, man, I really got a feeling that these dudes are still effing around. So I was like a couple stops. I'm like, I'm gonna go check on this. So I walked down the train, the big guy's gone. And, and there's a couple drunk little guys there. And they're just harassing these girls. So I'm kind of looking around. I'm like, I haven't really ever been arrested in Europe. And I don't think it's going to be that big of a deal in Holland. Oh, wait, right? wait, it's like, this isn't like, well, Thailand. That, that, that was the goal was to get around. Yeah, it wasn't really a goal, but it was like it was it was a possibility that needed to be accounted for. Right. Because I'm considering my options and what my path forward is. And it was pretty clear these guys weren't going to be talked out of being a problem. So I'm like, OK, what is the best case scenario in this situation? What is the potential worst case scenario? Given the fact we're in Holland, there's not a lot of weapons. So I'm kind of like, all right, let's I think I can press this. And I'm like, there's a possibility I'll end up in jail. That's fine. I'm American. They'll probably I'll get yelled at. You've been chewed out before. I'll get chewed out. I'll just call it good. So anyway, I sit down with these guys and they are just running their mouth. And I'm like, okay, this is happening. Right. So I kind of line everything up. I'm like, we're going to do this. We're going to do this kind of plan this whole thing out and just go to work. Right. The first dude swings and I'm on it. So after about five minutes of me trouncing these two dudes, I get to my stop and everybody on the train's like, okay, okay, it's enough. It's enough. So I get off the train. And this old Dutch guy walks over to me and they're very kind of quiet, proper people, right? Not quite like I am. And he kind of gives me this nod and pats me on the back. I'm like, okay, thanks. 
So I get off and these two guys follow me and I'm like, that's not a good idea. And the one dude grabs a bottle and breaks it. And I'm like, now we got a real problem. So after that happens, train security comes and there's talking to the guys. I'm waiting my turn. And all of a sudden they come over to me and they're like, what happened? They start speaking to me in Dutch and I answer in English. And they're like, you an American? And I'm like, yeah. And they're like, huh, okay. So what happened? I tell them the story. I'm like, you can ask anybody here. The old people come over, they speak to them. The young people come over. So then the guy, the guy looks at me and he goes, just a regular John Wayne, ain't you? Just all you goddamn Americans. You just got to anywhere you go, you want to help, don't you? And I'm like, hey, my family's here. I mean, and the dude, all of a sudden he's like, oh. And I'm like, this isn't like I just travel with a gun trying to solve people's problems. So all of a sudden at that point, the dude, the, the drunk is just being irate. The police end up getting called and they come over <laughs> And they're like asking everybody the problem. And then all of a sudden I see the, the train security look over and he says, John Wayne. So the, the cop comes over and goes, are you John Wayne? I go, I guess today I am. Mm -hmm. and he goes, he goes, uh, what happened? So I tell him the story and he's like, all right, well, we're going to let you go. I go, I'm going to tell you right now, these two guys, they got a problem and they're going to follow me and this isn't going to go well. So he kind of he looks at him. He's like, yeah. That's probably right. He goes, what do you want to do? I go, can we put him in jail for the night? And there was a soccer game that night. That was like the soccer game in Holland that I knew about. And as soon as I said it, these two guys just start crying, hysterically crying because they're going to miss the soccer game. He goes, how long do you want me to keep him in jail? I go, 48 hours. That way there's no way they can get anywhere near the game. Mm -hmm. So afterward, the guy goes, is there anything we can do for you? Can I buy you your ticket? I go, can I get a picture with you? So they're like, yeah. And I, so I get this picture with the cops. I get it with the security guys and they let me go. So I go back to my friends who are stationed in Holland. And I tell them the story because I'm late for dinner. It was this very hoity-toity dinner I'm supposed to be at. And I tell them this and they're like, this is BS. None of this happened. None of this is true. Like cops don't take pictures here. So then I just pull up on my phone. And I start scrolling and I'm like, these cops and these trained security guards. And this is my pass. And this is my like, this is my like little get out of jail free card from the Dutch police if I ever need it again. So at that point, my friends who were there on work were like, you can spend the night for the rest of the time you're here. We have to report this up the chain. You're probably not gonna be able to spend the night with us again in Holland. And I was like, totally cool. It's all good. I'm here with family. It's, it's that. So that was my, that was my John Wayne moment in Holland. Okay. So wait a minute. So two things out of that. The first part is that you're fighting with these guys and and, and you're, you're you're trussling it up and then the stop comes and then you suddenly stopped and said, oh, well, let, let's stop fighting. So no, a bunch of guys split us up. They're uh -huh. like, they split us up and then they keep trying to come after me and I just keep putting them down. And then everybody's like, please, God, stop. And I'm like, my stop's here. I'd like to get off. I can stay if we'd like. And everybody's like, no, 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 no. it's good. You get off, you get off. I'm like, fine, fine, we're okay. here. <laughs> All right, I think I just, the way it sounded, I was like, Huh. Yeah, no, it wasn't like I was like, hey, it's been lovely. I've really enjoyed our time together. I, my, but I have to go. My mom's here. Yeah, no, we're not there. <laughs> and, and then what about you? So did you end up getting kicked out of Holland? Like, are you no. in the country? No, not at all. Not at all. So uh, my friends had to report it up. They contacted the, the police. And the police were like, actually, we, your friend was very polite. They were like, very polite, like, very nice. They were like, he probably shouldn't be doing that. But he's welcome here anytime. They literally and my my friends were in complete shock because they were thought this is he's going to get thrown out. We're going to have this problem. And, and the cops were like such a polite man. So great. Like we got it all from the, the people that were there. We're good. I was like, cool. We're set. I'll come back in Holland anytime. OK. Now, from your fighting skills, what I, I mean, you, you, you are apparently John Wayne. Uh, what kind of hobbies do you have, though? 
So I, my friends and I really enjoyed hand-to-hand combat training, which is why I wasn't too worried at that moment about what I was engaged with. But at this point, I've got a six-month-old, I've got a two-year-old at home, mm-hmm. and I got a 14-year-old stepson. So my hobbies include changing diapers, mm-hmm. taking kids to basketball practice, and praying to God that me and my wife can get a full night's sleep without getting woken up by a cranky child. So if, if I get some time at the gym, I'm super grateful. But right now, my hobby is sleep, diapers, and walks with the family. Well, uh, speaking for as a father myself, I'm going to say a fat chance for sleeping through the night. Which is <laughs> yeah, right. Uh, and it doesn't stop. I mean, my kids are actually both in college these days. And good night's sleep just doesn't exist, especially as a guy with two daughters. <laughs> it doesn't exist. Yeah, I've got I've got two daughters, so yeah. they're, they're awesome, and then they're terrifying all at the same time. And, you know, my stepson, I'm like, hey, here are the rules; these are the guidelines. Don't f up; I won't punish you. Here's where we are. Right? It's very it's very easy. Right? The girls, I'm a little concerned about. Yeah, my wife did accuse me at one point of saying, "Oh, well, you give them; they were boys. You treat them completely different." I'm like, "Yeah, absolutely, a hundred percent." No, no, no doubt. But these are these are my princesses. So, all right. Uh, so you've got two kids. You don't really get any sleep. Uh, sometimes make it to the gym, possibly. Yeah, possibly. Uh, how did you get to this point in your life? I mean, from your from a career standpoint, have you always been in security or? Yeah. So I was. I had the opportunity to attend a very. Uh, challenging military school in high school. Okay. Uh, you know, so uh, from about eighth grade to my senior year, I was at a, a school in Virginia that at the time was going through a transition itself. So the scholastics and the kind of personnel that were there were very different than they are today. But I was able to get through that. And I was kind of zeroed in to go to, to VMI as an undergrad, but I got recruited to play sports at another small school in Virginia. So I ended up going there who had a really good business department. They had a great economics department. So I ended up kind of taking that path because my interest and my capability went itself that way. And then I had an East Asian studies concentration because I was kind of very interested in what was going on in Southeast Asia. It kind of seemed to me, it was pretty evident that this was going to be an important part of my lifetime. And then, and then from there, I graduated undergrad and I was like, I'm going to join the Marine Corps, right? I'm going to go, I'm going to get a gun and I'm going to travel the world and I'm going to meet different people and I'm either going to like them or kill them, right? That's what I'm going to do. And I'm good at it, right? That's what I'm going to plan my life to be at. And an uncle of mine, a family friend, really, he had he was an aerospace engineer and he had gotten into IT and me and him had a long conversation about economics and kind of the future of what we see in a that geopolitical idea. And we had some interesting talks and eventually he goes, hey, man, I want to hire you. And I'm like, yeah, that's cool. I got I'm, I'm joining the Marine Corps. And he's like, you can make a lot of money here. And I'm like, yeah, it's cool. I'll do that after the Marine Corps. And he's like, like. He called my dad and he goes, he goes, can you get this kid to just shut up and, and like <laughs> do this for a second? So my dad calls me, he goes, hey, if you get fired or you want to quit, you can quit anytime. Marines will take you. And I was like, yeah, that's true. He goes, this opportunity won't come by again. So you may want to just investigate this now. And then if it doesn't work, roll. Right. And I was like, OK. And I certainly had some bills I needed to pay. So 
enlisted Marine doesn't make a lot of money and neither does an officer for that matter. So I was like, well, I could, I could try my hand at this and see if I'm decent at it. So my first year at this company, I was first employee ever had, I basically got a, a stack of engineering textbooks and he goes, go. And he, he was a double E he goes, read all these. And if you have questions, come back. So my first two years out of undergrad, basically I had a two year hyper-focused electronics engineering degree for it. And I would be in his office constantly just pinging him with questions and he would be answering it. And then I was hammering the phone, talking to people. And I kind of started figuring out where people's pain points were and how we may be able to help them. And that was my whole thing is I wanted to help people. That's what I like to do. Right. I mean, I don't really like getting into bar brawls. It's not my shtick, but I do like helping people. And if one of those things leads to the other, then so be it. But I actually want to help. That's my, my philosophy is be a helper, right? It may sound kind of cheesy and certainly sounds like Mr. Rogers, but that's how I just am. So anyway, I really enjoyed kind of helping people and I thought maybe I could do it this way. So we started doing quite well and we went from two people to about, I don't know, 20 people. And I started getting brought, I picked some pretty cool, interesting solutions that I thought were going to be helpful. And I started getting some calls from some groups that had some problems that I was able to help. And was getting brought in as a very young man in my 20s to some very, you know, interesting buildings that I didn't want to know where they were afterward and having conversations in that regard. And I was helping and I loved it. So then all of a sudden, I kind of looked around and I go, I want to keep helping people. And this IT thing seems to kind of keep moving into this war element that I kind of have a passion for. So I looked around at graduate school programs and there were only a few that I thought were good. Everybody was running out getting an MBA. I'm going to get an MBA. I'm going to make $250,000 a year. That's like everybody's thought back what, like a decade or so ago. So, and of course the school systems were happy to support this idea because they were making tons of money on it anyway. So I just kind of looked at it. I was like, I've been through business school. I don't want an MBA. So I, I found there was a program at Harvard. Well, they, Harvard kind of had a quasi program with Tufts. Then there was a Tufts program. There was a Johns Hopkins program. There was a Georgetown program. And then there was like one other. Okay. And uh, for my own reasons, I had kind of applied to Tufts. It seems like it seemed to me like the best program to be a part of. It had the broadest reach. It had the most international focus. It was connected to Harvard. It just felt like the program. And so I, I applied mm-hmm. and for whatever ignorant reason on their end, they accepted me. And, <laughs> okay. you know, I, and I was sitting there and I, I, I'll never forget when I got the acceptance letter, I was literally planning my trip to go see friends of mine in Europe. And I'm like, cool, I'm going to take like a month off. I'm going to Europe. Like, this is going to be, I've, I've done really well at work. You know, the young guy was like mid twenties or something. I'm like, I'm, I'm out of here. And I get this acceptance letter. And I remember just cursing audibly in a coffee shop that is not supposed to be there and trying to figure out like, oh my God, I have to do this. And not only do I have to do this, I have to pay for it. Right. So there's no time off. There's not like I got to make I got to I got to really hustle to pay the bill on this. Okay, So so you you had a lot of experience first. Right. You had a lot of experience and then you decided to go to school and now you're mad that you got accepted. Is that kind of. Yeah. Well, yeah, because I I didn't think they'd accept me. I mean, I was like, (laughs) it's one of these things like I'll try. They say, no, I'll be in Europe. You mean like, hey, I'll, I'll try again later. So they took me and I'm like, God. What do I like? I got I can't pass this up. It's the same thing with the IT gig. It's like, I can't pass this moment up. So and it's not a cheap program. So I ended up attending and there was like two other guys in there that were paying their own way. 
And then everybody else had some government agency or some sponsoring place and everything. And you could certainly tell the, the difference in the people who were there on their own dime versus the people who weren't. The people who were there on their own dime were like, I want every little bit of this as I can get, mm -hmm. right? I am here to rock. And the people who were there kind of funded by an agency or a group or whatever the story is, they were just kind of like, hey, man, it's cool. I'm off work. I get to attend school. I'm traveling. Like, this is great. Meanwhile, I'm working and I'm going to school. And this is like a full-time program that they're like, your, your, your company has to let you do this because you're not going to be able to work. So I brought it up to my old company and I was like, hey, if I got into a graduate school program and one of the guys who was a partner in the company looks me dead in the eye and goes, if you think about applying to graduate school, I will triple your quota, cut your territory in a fifth, and I will work you like a slave until you quit. Hmm. And I remember thinking, and I didn't like this guy, he didn't like me, and I remember thinking, so I should apply to graduate school. That's a free, I was like, oh, okay, got it. All right. So I'm dead. At that point, I was kind of still on the fence. I was like, man, I really got to do this. And when he said that to me, I was like, awesome. That's all the FU I needed to make this happen. So for a year, I was in graduate school. They had no idea. The company didn't know I was there and I was working and I was up every morning at four o'clock in the morning and I'd go to bed every night at 12. And that was Sunday to Sunday, Saturday and Sunday. I was reading hundreds of pages of documents, just okay. trying to catch up with the reading that everybody else was doing. I worked, I worked so hard. Once I graduated, I like, I couldn't get out of bed before nine o'clock for like a month. I went to the doctor, like you burn your adrenal system out completely. Like here's your supplementation. You can't work out. You can't do anything like you're lucky you didn't stroke at 20. Like, this is what you got, right? So it, it was certainly a hard-earned victory, and it was one I'm very proud of. But right after I, I graduated my Tufts program, I left my first company, and I was like, all right, cool. I got everything I need. Like, I've helped you guys enough. And this guy and me, we don't like each other. Obviously, he's a prick. I'm out of here. So I got recruited by another company that does a lot of work with those types of agencies that were calling me, and they're like, hey, we want you to help us grow the business. So I ended up doing that and doing it very well. Company just sold for quite a bit of money to another massive IT company here in town. I was one of their, I think I was like number two employee and you know did a bunch of stuff for them. So I worked for those guys for about six, seven years. Absolutely killed it. I opened up, I opened up their civilian team, their DOD team, their, I helped them with their IC team, their civilian commercial team. And things were going well right up until the point where I knew the owners made the decision they were going to sell. And right when they made the decision they were going to sell, all this like innovative, cool, fun stuff we were doing that was on the edge, seeing the future, navigating the future, reading the tea leaves, looking at the tide, all that shit stopped. It was like, we're here to sell. And I knew it. It was just night and day, the difference of what I was allowed to do and what it wasn't. And I was like, all right, man, it's cool. Like I'm out of here. Like I, I got it. So that's how Neary started. I was like, I'm, I'm here to rock the boat. I'm here to make it cool. And I'm, I want to do some fun stuff. Okay. So it's it took somebody though to basically say F you, right. And in the face of adversity, you went ahead and decided, you know what, now I'm going to make this happen. This is more motivation. Is that advice that you would give to the Colorado equal security teams to people like that? Oh, yeah. I mean, America is built on an FU. True. I mean, 1776 was an FU. 
Mm -hmm. right? Slaves breaking free of their bonds was an F you, right? Like America is flush with the F you. Every startup that shows up is built on the F you. Now it may be a polite F you. It may be a, hey, I think I can do this better or, hey, I've got an idea or, hey, but you got to have an F you to start your own company, to take that risk, to be like, okay, I'm going to put it all on the table and see if I can make this thing go. Like, that's not a safe bet. I know those guys in California, the guys who've successfully left and they can go out and they can get a hundred million dollars and start up with their widget idea. Like, is that an F you? Sure. It's a little bit of an F you, but it's a safe one. I think for other people, it's a bigger one. And, and the more that you have that kind of drive and I'm going to make it no matter what, is what that's the passion and the fire that I think helps drive innovation in America. I just, uh, I've always been a believer in that. Is there any techniques that you would recommend or give when, when someone comes up to you and says, F you, and you want to reach down deep inside of you, what kind of advice could you give to somebody, to the crowd that's listening right now, to really try to make it, like to, to really come out? You have to. What's good advice for that? Know that you will be afraid and be okay, okay with being afraid. Okay. Be okay. Be okay being afraid. Like be accepting of being uncomfortable. Okay. Like discomfort is where growth happens. And if you're not willing to suffer some discomfort in some way, then there will be no growth. If you've ever been to the gym, there is discomfort there. Right. If you've ever played a sport and really put your effort into it, there's discomfort there. If you've ever worked in a math Olympic challenge, there's discomfort, there's suffering, there's work, there's effort. You've got to be willing to, no matter if it's physical, mental, emotional, it doesn't matter. You have to be willing to be discomfort, to, to bear discomfort and learn to actually enjoy it. And the unknown, mm -hmm. right? Like you have to be willing to take the risk of the unknown. Now I'm not saying just throw it all on black down in Vegas and say, let's see what happens. <laughs> but that's ignorant, but there certainly needs to be a willingness to take risk and be in that space of, of discomfort. Okay. Okay. Is that where you think you would be? I mean, you sound like a very passionate person. You, I've heard things like you love helping people. Uh, you're okay with discomfort. Is that what you would be saying you would be the most compassionate about? What I'm the most passionate about? Yeah. Yeah, I'd say that. I'd say helping people. I'd say I'm the most passionate about actually helping people, right? Because there is, I don't know why. I couldn't tell you why. I, I don't know. I don't have some kind of Zen philosophy behind that. I, I don't understand kind of why I'm built that way. I just know I am. And and it's something that I I love doing. Okay. Right? And, well, I, I, I can fully understand that. As a Marine, as someone that as actually is a Marine, I have a sense of honor. And yeah. I like to help people. I teach at universities. And while I get paid at these universities, I really get my reward from watching a student succeed. So I think that and I think this community in general, whether it's in, in cybersecurity, whether it's the Colorado Equal Security Group, you'll always find helpful people in the Slack channels, at the meetings and everything else. Yeah, that. And I think that's like you said, it sounds kind of cheesy, but it's also like, you'd be surprised how warm of a feeling it gives you when you think about it. It's like, look for the helpers. Mm -hmm. you know, I'll tell you kind of a heartwarming story. So my, my father passed about a decade ago and uh, he was 
he was very old at that point. He was 83 and he was kind of ready to go. He was like, I've, I've seen it. Right. And I, I remember trying to talk him into staying. Right. I was like, what like, I haven't had kids yet. And all these things he goes, Brandon, I grew up with a dirt floor. I remember when they ran the telephone line to my house, right? Like we had horses Mm -hmm. and he starts going through all these things that he has lived through. Like this is a diametric shift from what he grew up. He's like, my time is here, right? Mm -hmm. My time. It's not my time anymore. This is your time. This is your world. You need to live in it. So you made the decision he rolled and it was, we were really good friends, me and my father. And I remember sitting in his wake and my, my uncle very lovely man who's still alive funny enough he's like 90 something 95 i think Um, yeah yeah talk about longevity right and uh, he comes and he sits next to me and he goes brandon there are still good people in this world and you need to remember that like i know it looks bad and i know that there's bad people out there doing bad things but there's still a lot of good people here and if you can remember that it will help you every day and that's just, uh, for me, I mean, not to, again, I, I kind of hope I don't sound corny on this thing because I'm just this loser, but like, I just want to be one of those dudes. And I, I think you do too. You join the Marine Corps. I think you look around. I think the vast majority of Americans are actually that kind of person, mm-hmm. right? Irrespective of their political bend or whatever their thought process or what news station they're getting fed their lies to versus the other news station they're being fed their lies from. I think generally speaking, Americans actually are like that. They want to help. And I think it's, it's a pretty good, it's a, it's a pretty good vibe to have. And it's a lovely place to support. Right. So I I think that's just kind of what I am passionate about. And I think my company is too. I've, I've never been prouder with a group of people that I've worked with. And I've got some absolute killers on my team who are just studs in their respective field. And they're just some of the most lovely, supportive, compassionate people you could be around they're they're inspiring well past what i could ever achieve well i think that's true uh and i think that's great uh, as being a leader of people it's a lot of times you may not need the skill set that you may not have the skill set that you need but if you hire the right people you treat them right you have them passionate they're going to take care of that business for you yeah they want to win Right. Passionate people want to win. People who care want to win, like help them understand, put the put the guidelines in place so they can succeed, challenge them and help them where they can. And and people are really amazing. I mean, truly. Cool. So you've worked in security for a little bit. What do you think, though, that from a cybersecurity, what do you think is our greatest challenge? Not necessarily we don't need to solve it, but what do you think is going to happen? Like what what are our threats or what are our issues? So I could talk, there's so many rabbit holes to go down, right? There's Mm -hmm. artificial intelligence and there's quantum computing and there's breaking ciphers and all of this spooky stuff going on that's going to happen, right? I mean, it it may not be here today. Some of it actually is here today. Some of it will be here tomorrow. I hope it isn't here tomorrow, but it probably will be. I actually think kind of a broader sense of something that you're helping with is just educating people. Right. It's people hear cyber and they think, ooh, spooky stuff. And uh, that's a growing field. And how excited it's like this impacts every goddamn person here. Right. <laughs> every single person has an online identity. They interact with the utility company. They interact with their bank. They interact with their streaming organization. They interact with the social security office. Like the government is going online for you to get your taxes. Like 
this is this is ubiquitous as the water. This is is everywhere like electricity. And I think the biggest challenge and what's kind of scary is the ignorance of everybody to this topic. Mm -hmm. Right. And I think a lot of people are like, oh, computers, I don't really I'll work on it. I don't really want to know anything about it. It's like, I don't need you to be a programmer, but you do kind of need to understand some things here, like driving. I don't need you to be an F1 driver, right? But you probably want to understand some rules and you need to know that this is impactful to you. So I think that's as, as a nation, I think our biggest challenge right now is just the general education of, of a lot of voting Americans that are important in our economy right now. That's an interesting point because... One of the things that I always tell to my classes, and I know this is not a documentary, but there's a quote within Men in Black, right? The original movie, and we all oh, know. Oh, yeah. Classic. Where he talks, though, about what protects the public from the aliens and being feared of the aliens and things like that. And it's because they don't know it. Do you think that could contrast into cybersecurity, or do you think that's a detriment? That they don't know what's going on? Yeah. I think they should know what's going on. I don't need them to know that the Chinese planted a logic bomb on the PG&E electric grid in California a month ago and that we unwired it, right? Like, I don't need them knowing that, but they should know like, hey, there's a misinformation campaign getting sponsored by Russia about this thing, right? Or, hey, there is a Zelle attack going on with these three major banks and you need to know it. Or, hey, there is four nationals are working at this very interesting production plant and they stole a bunch of information, right? Because that way, all of a sudden, it becomes awareness, right? And you hear on the Metro, if you go to DC, if you see something, say something. So we don't want to make a citizen of paranoia, right? We're not turning into Russia any anytime soon. But just, my God, just be a little educated about the fact that if, so, if something weird is happening, maybe like look into it and just don't kind of write it off because you're part of this. Okay. Well, that, I mean, that that's interesting that you mentioned that because I think one of the new things at DEF CON this year was there was a misinformation village, right? Right. Think about, I mean, that was kind of new because we're trying to be informed, but now we're being, that could be, be a vector of attack. Yeah. Oh, it is, man. It, it, it couldn't be. It is. And the thing about that is, well, well it's interesting, is those who are on the, the Western border with Russia, right? Finland, Estonia, these companies, these countries, they have had to arm themselves and their population with understanding what kind of misinformation campaigns they're going to experience and what to look for. So by virtue of that, they're on the look for that. It doesn't mean that they're clutching their pearls and worrying about something immediately in this moment. Although if you're in Ukraine, obviously you should have been. And, and most of them did, to be fair to them. But I think in America, we've been so isolated physically and geographically speaking that we haven't really had that educational process instilled in us. And I think it's being uh, weaponized against us, right? And you know, we have to be careful not to get too far into the political weeds, but that goes for nation states and for special interest groups, for moneyed in special interest information groups. So now you've got a misinformation campaign that is, is being provided to you via the mechanisms of IT that most people are just completely susceptible for, and they're not, they're not fully aware of what they're dealing with. Now, 
something to be said to that is what I do like about the younger generation, my stepson's age, and, and I could rave for hours about what I don't like about them. But what I do <laughs> like about it is they're digital, digital natives. So they're much faster on picking up anything that's out of line with what they're seeing. And they're quick on the response. Whereas my mom's generation, for example, like whatever is said to them by their favorite channel is just the God's honest truth, right? That is set in stone. Doesn't matter how ir- how ridiculous it sounds. It's It's got to be the truth. So what, what do you think? I mean, what with your stepson being able to recognize I guess what misinformation. Yeah. How would you, what advice would you give to the, to the crowd right now, to the podcast about what they can do with their own kids? Cause I'm betting that most of the people listening right now have kids yeah. that are in that digital age. Mm. What would you say to them right now? I'd actually tell them to listen more than okay. teach. And the reason for that, and trust me, man, I'm hard on my stepson and I love him to death, but I, I keep his rear end in check because he needs it. So it isn't like I'm just like, teach me, Obi-Wan, you're my little Yoda. <laughs> but I I do when it comes in, and I'm in IT, right? And then probably everybody on your side is, is in IT too. So I listen to what he has to say because these kids are smart, right? They did grow up in IT. I mean, they when you and I are growing up, like, Dude, the dial-up was like, oh, wow, like this is happening. Like these kids, man, they've had streaming media their whole life. Now there's a lot of bad to that. And certainly we could spend days on that, but they're also intimately familiar with it. So they see and pick up things that I think even our generation, just one or two before them miss because they're so natively attuned to that. So I I wouldn't tell them to teach them anything. I would just say, talk to your kids and see what they tell you, right? Now- Again, they're not your little Yoda, but they're going to be pretty clever and quick on the draw on stuff that you may not be paying attention to. Yeah, I mean, I do. I I have found that amazing. My 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 oldest daughter is trying to get into marketing, and the things that she knows at at, at a very young age is incredible about how to market herself, how to put things out there, how to put out a new magazine. It, it's it's absolutely incredible how the algorithms work. And it's like, it's almost this like intuitive understanding of, oh, of course it's like this. Mm -hmm. And like, oh, well, they changed it and they changed it a year ago. Now it's like this. And it's almost like this, well, of course you got to change a tire. Like my stepson, it's going to be a mind-blowing experience for him to learn how to change a tire. Mm -hmm. It just is. And he's going to learn. And he's going to learn how to change oil. He's going to do all these things he doesn't really want to do. And I don't care, right? But he intimately understands how TikTok or Instagram or any of these viral social media campaigns work just intuitively. And it's it's just so interesting because I look at it and I'm, I'm like, dude, I'm, I'm like my dad at this point. I'm antiquated, right? Like, am I going to be put out the pasture in the next few years? Because I, I don't understand it. So that's that's what I would say to that. Okay. And so that we, we there are things that we can learn from our kids these days. So. Oh, my God. More than you suspect. Okay. Well, I do want to go back. I'm looking through my notes. I do want to go back to something uh, that you said earlier in the podcast. Did you do some, and and I don't even know if you can actually answer these. Did you do some work with some clandestine organizations or you mentioned that word? And I definitely- I just did some education for them. That's it. Okay. That's it. I just educated, like, so nothing like you trust me. I would love to be Jason Bourne. I am absolutely not. Although I tried to be him on my vacations, which has almost gotten me arrested more times than I can count. 
But really, I just, it, I didn't do anything cool. I swear to God. Really, all I did was like, hey, we've got a malware problem. And they're like, hey, we need to talk about this. Because guess what? They're hitting GE the same way they're hitting this group. Like it works, right? So why not use it? So it was more of just an education element of like, hey, this is what this is what things look like out there in the wild. And you should be mindful. And this is how to defend against it. And this is our best technologies that we have that are open source or this is what we have that's coming out of Silicon Valley. That's a startup. And this is what we recommend, that kind of thing. Okay. So you didn't repel off the building. No, God, I wish. No, 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 no. Okay. I mean, I got friends who do. Totally. <laughs> All right. You know, yeah. I got, I got none of that. Again, diapers. Okay. Yeah. Within itself. Yeah, <laughs> totally. Dude, if, if I was doing that work, I wouldn't be doing this podcast. I'd be in Ukraine right now. Right. Yeah. Like I'd, I'd be there. Right. Instead I'm diapers and walks and strollers. And, and why can't we just come up with a standard format for a stroller? Like, why does it have to be an engineering effort every time you need to break one of these, these goddamn things down, right? Yeah. It's like, oh, got a new way to do it. Awesome. Cool. Love yeah. doing that parking lot while it's raining and my kids are screaming. This is, this is great. Love you. I, I, I know the feeling, especially because I don't know how it happened, but we ended up leaving a stroller at one of the malls we went at. And thank God we had the baby with us. Yeah. <laughs> We but we we literally left the stroller in the parking lot, and I have no idea. I mean, we we had no idea about it. So yeah, I'll I'll tell you, no one who's ever had a kid, it, it like would be like, oh, it's it, anybody who's who's childless. Be like, that's just ridiculous. You must you must not be paying attention. Every person who's ever had a child would go, oh yeah, I completely understand that. Yeah. yeah, no problem. Yeah. yeah, you can tell a parent because there's so much patience for you as another parent. You're just like. It's cool, man. I get it. It's good. You yeah. want me to, you need a hug? You want me to buy you a beer? You all right? Totally different. Both of those I think are acceptable to the Yeah. To- yeah. Usually both. Yeah, yeah. totally. I'm gonna I'm gonna hug you and buy you a beer. No, you know, yeah, cool. We don't need to be friends. I just need you to know you're not alone. It's cool. Awesome. Well, uh, we are coming up on the end of the podcast, or at least the end of this interview portion. Any final thoughts, any final words that you want to give the crowd? I don't know. Not really. I mean, you know, I just, uh, I'm excited to be here. I'm excited to be in Colorado. I love this state and growing our company here and we're, we're pushing the envelope wherever we can be. So I think I, I'm, I'm guessing you're, you're going to have a lot of listeners who are doing the same thing. So I salute them and I wish them the best on their journey. Awesome. Well, again, thank you, Brandon. He is the CEO of Nearest Systems out located right here in Denver, Colorado. And Again, want to thank you for the time. My name is Frank. Uh, I think most of the people here know me in the crowd. If not, uh, one of the things I do is I run the, uh, or at least help run the Denver OWASP chapter. Uh, please keep in mind that we are helping out. We work together with the Colorado Equal Security crowd. Uh, please check out our OWASP chapters at meetup.com forward slash Denver dash OWASP. And I hope to see Brandon and everybody else in this podcast at one of my meetings soon. Again, thank you for your time. I appreciate it. And we'll talk to you. We'll talk to the crowd later. Thanks, guys. Learn more about the Colorado security scene at colorado-security.com, where you can see information about local security groups, a calendar of upcoming security events, and learn more about Colorado equals security. Reach out to Alex and Rob by emailing info at colorado-security.com. Until next time, remember, Colorado equals security.